Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Happy Friday. This is episode 75 that you are listening to, and it really feels good to say that we're three quarters of the way to episode 100 since we launched Duck Stream back in September. And also a shout out to my producer and sidekick through all of this, Stefan Bell, for the help along the way. You know, he might not love hearing his name on here, but he certainly deserves the recognition. And it's the end of the week and the end of the month of March already. April Fool's Day is tomorrow, so just be mindful on your Saturday of what's going on because you never know who's pranking you on that day. And like I mentioned in the last episode, just two weeks of the NHL regular season remaining. Really looking forward to relaxing this weekend with the team on the road before the Ducks come back home to close out the year. And their three-game road trip began in Seattle on Thursday with the final meeting against the Kraken. The Ducks lineup certainly looked different in this one, having some notable names out, including Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras. But despite the missing pieces, the team did show some fight and ultimately fell short with a final of 4-1. to one. And with that, the Ducks fell to last place in the Pacific Division right now with 56 points. So let's get to some of AD's takeaways. There aren't a whole lot, but just a couple things from this game. It was a really important one going into it for Seattle so that they could extend their lead in the wildcard race. And that's exactly what they did. Rookie Matty Beneers added to his point total this season with a goal in this game, and he still leads all rookies with 52 points. He'll certainly be a name in the Calder Trophy race and probably a finalist, potentially a winner on that end as well. On the Ducks' side, Brock McGinn had the only goal on the night for Anaheim, his second since joining the team, and it cut Seattle's lead in half in that second period. And the Ducks were able to keep it close for a while from that point on, but in the final couple minutes of the game in the third period, Seattle was able to pour it on. There was some chippiness in front of the net by Dostal, and that just resulted in a power play for the Kraken in which they scored on. And speaking of Dostal, he had 35 saves on 38 shots, once again facing another competitive team, so just gaining more experience. He's been looking so solid and composed through this stretch that he's been playing in the NHL level. Really not a whole lot else from this game for me. Hoping that the Ducks can have a bounce back this weekend, and it's going to be tough because they are going to be on a back-to-back facing the Edmonton Oilers in Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and then also the Calgary Flames. The Ducks record now at this point in the season is 23, 42, and 10. And then on the road, they are 11, 20, and 7 this season. Now let's step back and look at the NHL as a whole with goal calls from Thursday night's slate of games. Beginning with the New Jersey Devils and New York Rangers game, a 2-1 to win for the Devils at the Prudential Center on Thursday. Timo Meyer netted a power play goal in the end of the first period after a bit of passing with Jack Hughes. And that would be good enough to hold off the Rangers despite them getting one of their own. And goaltender Vitek Vanacek made some great saves in this game, especially in the third period to keep the Devils ahead. 
With the win, Vanacek became the only goaltender in Devils history other than Martin Brodeur to record a 30-win season. The Devils now have 102 points and are four ahead of the Rangers in the Metropolitan. Hear the call from Matt Laughlin of Devils Hockey Network of Tima Meyer's goal. Moves behind the net, gives it back to Jack in the corner. For Heesher, right wing corner, steps out, gets it in front, off a stick, comes wide. Now it's Hughes in the left wing circle. For Meyer, he scores! Timo Meyer drills one home, and it's two to nothing. Now, despite being at the bottom of the NHL, the Sharks won their second game in a row this week when they took an overtime win in San Jose on Thursday, 4-3 to against the Pacific Division-leading Vegas Golden Knights. San Jose came out of the gates in the first period with a two-goal lead, but Vegas worked their way back into the game enough that this one would need overtime and just 50 seconds into that overtime sharks logan couture would go on to have the game winner after alex petrangelo turned the puck over in the zone to give couture the opportunity to put a puck in the back of the net now despite the loss vegas has clinched a playoff berth with the penguins regulation win over the predators on thursday night and vegas is the first team in the west to do so Dan Rusinowski shares the game-winning goal on the Sharks Audio Network. Petrangelo gets by Couture. Moves down the left side across the Sharks line in overtime. Puts on the brakes. Gave it away to Couture. Logan's got a break. He has a breakaway now. He's moving in. He shoots. He scores! What a finish for the captain, Logan Couture, goal number 26 on the season, and he's mobbed by his teammates. The Sharks win in overtime against Vegas, 4-3, to three, 50 seconds into the extra session. Listen to this crowd erupt. The Edmonton Oilers shut out the LA Kings at Rogers Place on Thursday, 2-0 as a part of a 43-save performance from Stuart Skinner. Edmonton is 8-1-1 in their last 10 games with a three-game win streak at this moment. Now they're just ahead of the LA Kings in the Pacific with 97 points compared to 96 going into the weekend. Connor McDavid scored his 300th goal of his NHL career and became the first player in league history with five double-digit point streaks in a single season. And he did so in the third period, scoring the goal on a shorthanded opportunity, his 61st of the NHL season. Now heading into Friday night, the Oilers can clinch a playoff berth if the Winnipeg Jets lose to the Detroit Red Wings in any fashion. Chad Radio, 6.30 a.m. has McDavid's goal. Aliyev will rim the puck back to the left wing point. Jersey gives it away, and here comes McDavid, shorthanded, the breakaway. McDavid scores! His 300th career goal, and the Oilers are up 2-0. Connor McDavid with just a beautiful read. Off to the race it. Absolute beauty. 61st of the year for McDavid. As the Oilers get their 15th shorthanded goal this season. And they go up 2-0 here in the third period.
And last up in this coast to coast, I know I'm always talking about the Boston Bruins, but when they're the best team in the NHL, I kind of have to mention them from time to time, especially because they clinched the president's trophy on Thursday night as the NHL's regular season champions. They also notched a franchise record 58th win in the season, now having 121 points. The winner came just 41 seconds into overtime as Hampus Lindholm skated through the neutral zone, crossing the puck over to David Pasternak, who buried it on a backhanded shot behind the Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender. Also, an interesting stat about the Bruins that I found. This marks the 16th time that the Bruins will finish an NHL season with the most standing points among all teams outright or tied. They have gone on to reach the Stanley Cup final in seven of the previous 15 seasons in which they have done so. Really interesting stat from the NHL's PR team. So Judd Surratt has the call of the historic winner by Pasternak. Here's Pasternak to the right circle, walks in back, and he scores! His 53rd goal is an overtime game winner. The Boston Bruins have set a new franchise record. That's their 58th win. The Bruins clinch the President's Trophy, and what we're watching this year is the greatest regular season in the 99-year history of the franchise. Your final, Bruins 2 and the Blue Jackets won. The game winner comes 41 seconds into overtime. This weekend is just going to be an exciting one of hockey between the teams having the chance to clinch and then work their way into better positioning for the postseason. So with all of the busyness of the NHL regular season, we welcome on Dan Rosen to join the show today to discuss all of the big storylines of the final two weeks. Dan shared which teams he's keeping his eye on, plus what he's thought on the way Anaheim's season has played out. I really enjoyed hearing his take on what the playoff round matchups could look like as well. Take a listen. Joining Light the Lamp now is senior writer at NHL.com, Dan Rosen. Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, as we're getting down to the end of the NHL regular season, only two weeks left. What are you looking for? I mean, there's so many different storylines that are happening right now. Yeah, the the interesting storylines, obviously the wild card races are very interesting. But to me, what's really interesting is the races for first place in three of the four divisions. And, and why that's so interesting is because the two, three matchups are so tough. Mm-hmm. We, we know the two, three matchup in the Atlantic with Toronto and Tampa Bay because Boston's just running away with everything right now. But like you're looking at a potential devils Rangers matchup in the Metro, but can one of those teams catch Carolina that makes it still a significant two, three matchup. But if you finish first in that, you know, now you're, you're potentially getting the Islanders or you're getting the penguins teams that have been inconsistent this season, you know, or the Panthers, uh, you know, if you look at the central division, that that's so key because, it's a three-team race between the Wild, Avalanche, and Stars. Two of those teams are going to be playing each other. One could be playing a reeling team in the Winnipeg Jets or a team that has been really inconsistent in Calgary or, you know, a team that traded a lot of guys at Na- like Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's it's one of the or, – or Seattle, which is a team that, you know, first time in, not a real go-to scorer, issues in net. 
So it's key. You want to avoid that 2-3 matchup. And it's the same in the Pacific Division when you look at the, the Vegas Golden Knights, the LA Kings, and, and the Edmonton Oilers. You want to avoid that 2-3 matchup. So to me, mm-hmm. we always look at the wild card races and the, and the chase for those last few spots. And they're, they're interesting, no doubt about it. But this year, it's actually the race for first. And as of right now, there have been five teams that have clinched. Three of those teams have over 100 points in their season. And all of the teams are in the East. But what do you think that says about the conference with where they're at right now? I'll tell you what. Earlier in the season, there was no question that it was more East-leaning, more East-dominant. You know, you you obviously had the Bruins – Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. Toronto, the Rangers, Hurricanes, Devils. I mean, they're, all those teams are still there uh, and all could have 100 points and whatnot. But now I look at it and I'm like, the the sec, the, the, the have-nots, shall we say, uh, of the West, I think, are better now mm-hmm. than some of the ones in the East. Like, Ottawa's been good but inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Buffalo really struggling to win when it matters most. Um, you know, the Detroit really faded, right? But then you look at a team like Vancouver. They've come on since mm-hmm. Rick Tockett's been the coach. They've been they've been really tough. Uh, you know, the St. Louis Blues traded everybody, but they're no it's not an easy game when you mm-hmm. play the St. Louis Blues. So, you have the teams that are up at the top. There's no question about it in both conferences and I think the teams that are up at the top in the East have for the majority of the season been better. Although with Minnesota catching fire and Colorado coming back, it's, you know, an LA being what it's doing, what it's doing Edmonton now playing really well. I mean, those teams have caught up a little bit, but it's the other teams that maybe aren't going to make it that are making it difficult or at least more difficult. I mean, look at the San Jose Sharks just beat the Winnipeg jets three to nothing. And the Sharks mm-hmm. are fighting for Connor Bedard. Right. And I know recently you had on Florida Panthers head coach Paul Maurice on your podcast. Um, And I was curious what some of your takeaways are from that conversation with him as the Panthers are still out of the playoff picture, but just barely at this point right now. Yeah, it it was Paul Maurice is always a very interesting interview. He's philosophical. He's honest. Mm -hmm. He is very honest about his teams and where they are and players in particular. Uh, And he's very philosophical and and he speaks in a stream of consciousness, essentially. And and that's why I love talking to him. And and I've known him for a while now being, you know, covering this league for 16 plus years. And he's been in it for the whole time, you know, (laughs) so, um, you know, he's very interesting. I thought it was interesting, you know, to hear him talk about Matthew Kachuk and the impact he's had on the Florida Panthers. And it's not just the impact that he's had on the ice. It's in the room. It's with players, it's with bus drivers, you know, the, the people who are on the planes, the, the, the equipment guys, the, the support staff, everything and how he uh, interacts with them and, and is a leader with them and, and that being contagious for the rest of the group. Uh, that was interesting to hear him talk about Brandon Montour and how he's come along this season and become such an impactful, productive defenseman and, and why that is. I thought it was mm-hmm. really interesting. But also, you know, to hear him talk about how the Panthers last year and he wasn't there. They had 122 points, I think it was. And they won the President's Trophy. Mm-hmm. But as he said, he goes, if you ask anybody, it, it really wasn't 122 points. It was they got hot. They beat all the bad teams. Didn't really have mm-hmm. to play hard hockey. Went into the playoffs. Had to start playing some hard hockey and got swept by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Team has to learn how to play some hard hockey. And that's what Maurice, those are Maurice's words. They're not mine. And they're finding that out now. It's been hard this season and it's hard right now. And, you know, they go into Toronto and they get a win and that's huge. Right. You know, it doesn't matter that they gave a point. It's huge for them. They, they got to go into Montreal and get another one. Like they, they, 
it's there for them. It's not like the Pittsburgh Penguins are taking it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's there for the Florida Panthers, but it's hard. And they're going through that right now. And he likened it to what the Lightning went through. Uh, You know, the Lightning go to the Stanley Cup final in 2015, missed the playoffs, get swept by Columbus. And then it really kicked in for them. And he thinks that's kind of what the Panthers are going through right now. One more team in the East I'd like to talk about. Obviously, the Bruins just having a historic season. Do you think that they will be sustainable in the playoffs? Well, they certainly can be. And Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there's no question they can be because of how deep they are, uh, how talented they are, their goaltending. I mean, even if one of them were to get hurt, the other one's really good. Right. You know, if Olmark, who's a Vezina Trophy winner this season, if unfortunately for the Bruins, if he goes down, well, Jeremy Swayman's pretty darn good. He's a number one on a lot of teams, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have so much depth. And, you know, they can even win. Like, they went and beat Carolina without Bergeron, Marchand, and Lindholm in the lineup. It's pretty impressive. That being said, and I've said this many times, they could go win 63 games this season and set the NHL record. They win tonight, as we're talking here on Thursday. They win tonight, and it's their 58th win. That sets a Bruins franchise record mm-hmm. and locks up the President's Trophy. All it does is it gets them to game one. That's the only – it gets them to game one, right? Right. Because what happens in game one? They What if they go and lose game one? Well, now they're in a hole. Mm-hmm. And for the first time all season, they're in a hole. I think they'll respond fine. They're a veteran team. You know, they know what it's like and all yeah. that. But they haven't been in a hole all season, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying they go win – they could easily go win game one. They could sweep the first round. It, it's just my point is that it just guarantees them – you know, they'll have home ice all the way through. Great. Mm-hmm. But it gets them to game one. And that's it. And we saw it. I covered that Tampa Bay series. Tampa Bay wasn't what Boston is. Boston's a far more veteran team, experienced team, a hardened team than what the Lightning were back in 2019. But I covered that Lightning team in that series. They were up three to nothing in the first period. And we thought, oh, this is easy. Mm-hmm. And then it got really hard and they got swept. And I'm not saying that happens to Boston, but they could be had. They mm-hmm. could be. Well, of course, we have to talk about the Ducks, too, and the season that they've had as they've been rebuilding. But what has your take been on how the organization has been throughout the season? Well, I like it's an honest assessment and it's an honest approach Mm -hmm. to to where you're you're at. I mean, you're not close. You know, the the Ducks are not close to winning. They knew that. Pat Verbeek knew that, right, when when he took over and he made trades last season that showed that. You know, and look, I I love Hampus Lindholm. Hampus Lindholm was a terrific player for the Anaheim Ducks. But, you know, I mean, are they going to win? Would they have won with Hampus Lindholm by signing to a brand new contract and, you know, big money and all that? Or do they need to go through some of the hard times? They got a lot of prospects, a lot of prospects coming. Have an absolute superstar in Trevor Zegers. Like, the dude is a superstar. Mm-hmm. I love him. Um, but he's got a lot to learn, too. You know, he's got he's got a lot to learn about what it's like, like what Paul Maurice was saying, how it's to play hard hockey, uh, all that stuff. You know, when when you're down seven goals and you're down five goals in a game and you score, maybe your sellies don't have to be, you know, as dramatic as they are. But we love that about him. though. Mm-hmm. You know, we love that about us. So you don't want to cur- you don't want to curb any of that enthusiasm. Um, I, I think they're going in the way in the direction that they needed to go in. They were really good for a long period of time. Getzloff got old. Perry left. You know, uh, obviously the Solani days ended and whatnot. And they kind of were in the middle. They were just middling around. You you, you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, your worst place to be is in the middle of the National Hockey League right now. So they went in the right direction 
they went in the wrong direction to eventually go in the right direction. They're not alone in doing that. Uh, and they're going to need some luck and they're going to need a lot of these prospects to pan out. But I, I, I mean, give it a couple of years, they could be right back up there. When you look at that prospect pool and the potential for what could be in the draft this summer too, it certainly does have a lot of excitement for the Ducks fans here in Anaheim. Uh, and I think that, you know, when you look at the team in the future too, there's just so much unknown heading into the off season that you have to be excited about what could come in the off season then maybe. Yeah. I, and that's it. I mean, you, you have to, as a fan, you're watching if like, if I were a fan of the ducks right now, I would be watching to see how some of these young guys are coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- what are we looking at? Who's a, who can now be a part of a future core. Do we have the makings of some guys here that can be a part of a future core? So in, in three years, two, three years, and it shouldn't take longer than that. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to rebuild in the NHL, something, somebody will tell you it takes five. If you get lucky, it could take two or three, you know, um, it, it, do you have the makings of guys that should be a part of it for a while? I think they do. I think they have that. And we've seen some of that at the NHL level, but there's more coming. And then, I mean, they're in the mix, right? So you got to hope that you get lucky at the lottery and you get the guy that changes your entire franchise because this is one of those years, right? Connor Bedard is is known as, we don't know for sure, Mm -hmm. but he is known as the guy who is a franchise changer, a la Matthews, McDavid, you know, these these types of players. And, And what McKinnon turned into, obviously, for the Avalanche, and they don't come along every year. You know, mm-hmm. Jack Hughes is having a terrific year for the New Jersey Devils. He wasn't known as a franchise changer when he was a draft. Bedard is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if you don't, you get number two, you know, like Fantilli from Michigan, really good player. Is he a franchise changer like Bedard? I don't know, but really, really good player. Another huge piece that you add. So there's got to, the off season is where the optimism is. And the regular season, as you watch it, it's sort of like you just kind of have to grin and bear it a little bit and hope that uh, some of these guys that you're watching that you really start to like really pan out. I'm curious to your opinion on John Gibson's season. I mean, he's faced a lot of pucks on net, but I mean, he's, he's had a lot of really great showings despite having to face so many shots night in and night out. Yeah. I think Gibson's a terrific, I think he's an a plus number one goalie in the league. Mm -hmm. And I just think his numbers are a product of the team that he's playing for right now. Um, if John Gibson was on a team that was just better in front of him, more experienced, a little harder to play against all of those things, his numbers would showcase that because he is an elite goaltender in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote about this actually in my mailbag that ran on Wednesday on NHL.com. I'm curious about the future of John Gibson in Anaheim, right? I mean, there's two schools of thought here. He, he's 29 years old and he signed for four more years, right? Mm-hmm. you're a rebuilding team. A, you keep him because he stabilizes everything for you, right? I mean, without him, where would, I mean, we know where they are now, but without him, my goodness, where would they be, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a stabilizer, a franchise stabilizer, and you hope that with, you know, towards the end of his contract, he's still good, and he's still, he's in his early 30s, he's still in his prime, and he and you're able to win with him. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is we're rebuilding. We're not going to be very good again next year why do we need an A plus number one goalie? You know, like we can get prospects, picks, you know, maybe a player that can help us right away and in the future. And we'll pick up that go- that goalie when we need him. 
you know, because right now we don't need them. But it's two schools of thought. So where do they go? How do they figure that one out? Because you're not wrong in either one, either avenue you go down. Right. Now, John Gibson could go to management and be like, dude, I, I got to get out of here. You got to give me a chance to win. Right. And that changes things. That does. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's done that or wants to do that or will do something along those lines. So I can't speak at all to how his his thought process is. But that's an interesting dynamic that I think this offseason they're going to have to deal with because you look at some of the teams around the league and like two that come to mind immediately, Pittsburgh Penguins, where he's from, mm-hmm. they could use a number one goalie next season if they don't re-sign Tristan Jerry. And the Buffalo Sabres, who look like a team that's ready to go, they could use a number one goalie too. They've been running out their 41-year-old Craig Anderson, who's been solid. But, you know, do they have a guy that – or is Gibson – potentially could be a guy for them. So there's going to be a market for him if they're mm-hmm. looking to trade him. It's just a matter of, do they want to do that? Well, it seems that the Ducks are going to see two more times this season, the Edmonton Oilers, and they have almost three guys to a hundred points this season. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, yeah. just a couple points behind. And I feel like he just doesn't necessarily get the conversation going because he is behind McDavid and Dreisaitl. But do you think he's getting enough credit for the season that he's been having too? No, he's not. We talked about this. Uh, I do a podcast. My co-host Sean Rourke and I on the NHL at the ring podcast. We talked about it this week. We recorded it yesterday, actually. (laughs) Perfect. And it's like the quietest hundred point season I've ever seen, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously we know why. I mean, McDavid's running away with everything right now and he's going to run away with the heart trophy and he could score 70 goals maybe and all of those things. And and Dreisaitl has been there and done that and he's been terrific and he also has more points. Mm-hmm. you know, than Ryan Nugent Hopkins. But no, I like, I don't think he's getting enough credit for it because the other two guys take so much of the spotlight in Edmonton and nationally about, you know, when people talk and internationally, when people talk about the Oilers, but the thing with Nugent Hopkins is it's 96 points. It's well above his career average. This guy averaged about 55 to 60 points per season. Now you're looking at a great season. It reminds, it reminds me of Chris Kreider with the Rangers last year, mm. career high, 28 goals last year, 52. You know, like yeah, where, yeah. You know, like and, and Kreider's a thirty goal scorer again this year. For you know, but we were wondering like, when's he ever going to be a thirty goal scorer? Then he scored fifty two. You know, mm-hmm. and you've been wondering about Nugent Hopkins. Where's that offense that they drafted? He was a number one pick. Where is it? Is it all going to McDavid? Is it all going to Drysaddle? Where is it? What's there this mm-hmm. year? And it what's also there is his full two hundred foot game, his ability to check the puck back. You know, you know, to force a turnover and create offense going the other way. Those are the things that I love about Nugent Hopkins, but those are also the things that, you know, aren't the things that really get celebrated too much. What gets celebrated is Connor McDavid going end to end, beating everybody mm-hmm. on the ice. Dan Rosen, thank you so much for joining us today on Light the Lamp. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Now it's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Remember, Ducks games back to back this weekend. Don't miss any of the action. You can listen to it right here on Duck Stream as always with Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster on the calls. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next week for more hockey talk on Duck Stream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.